From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, the House remains without a speaker after Jim Jordan fell 17 votes short of the needed 217. No person having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname, a speaker has not been elected. That was Acting Speaker Patrick McHenry. How long will Jim Jordan push his bid to be speaker? My sources on the Hill say that the division in the House is becoming deeper. We're going to discuss it later with California Congressman Doug LaMalfa. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, Iran is threatening possible preemptive action against Israel if Israel takes ground action in Gaza. Question is, is it time for the U.S. to hold Iran accountable? We know that Iran bankrolls Hamas, and yet it is perplexing why this administration refuses to issue a formal decision to freeze the $6 billion. We need to ensure that not another dollar goes to Iran. That was Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn earlier today discussing the $6 billion that was released by the Biden administration uh, recently that went to Iran. It is temporarily on hold. She joins us here on Washington Watch in just a moment. I discussed this yesterday. We made human rights for LGBT around the world a top priority in my foreign policy, increasing our assistance to brave activists on the ground, defending human rights in countries to pass anti-gay laws. That was President Joe Biden Saturday night at the nation's largest LGBTQ organization, Human Rights Foundation. Uh, that was their annual dinner here in Washington, D.C. Now, FRC has a report that substantiates President Biden's claim. He's actually telling the truth. It is their number one priority. Travis Weather, Weber joins me later with more on this story. Also, in uh, is one parent's porn another teacher's textbook? Now, the media claims parents are trying to ban books, but the reality is parents are just trying to keep out of the classroom what would be illegal to show children elsewhere. Karen England with Capital Resource Institute in California is here to explain what is really happening and what you, what you, yes, parents, what you can do to join the effort. That's coming up later on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. As Paul points out here, our default position is being dead in sin, evidenced by our living under the influence of Satan, whether we acknowledge it or not. Recall what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 23, said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. But here's the good news in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, for those of you in the Columbia area of South Carolina, I'll, I invite you to join us this coming Sunday. Sunday morning, I'll be preaching at Christian Life Church in both morning services. And then on Sunday night, General Jerry Boykin and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman will join me for a special Stand with Israel service at Village Church in Blythewood, South Carolina at 6 p.m. 
So uh, mark your calendars. But if you can't be there, don't worry. You'll be able to join us online. I'll have more details to come later this week. As President Biden plans to travel to Israel tomorrow, Iran is threatening to take preemptive action against Israel if Israeli forces initiate ground action in Gaza. This saber-rattling comes as the United States has actually been releasing money to Iran. Now, it's on hold, but members of Congress are calling for that money to be permanently frozen. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. She serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Finance Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Blackburn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, you pointed this out today. The, the administration should be very clear, given the fact that Iran is saying they may take preemptive action against Israel if Israel initiates ground action in Gaza. You're saying, why in the world are we giving money to Iran? That's exactly right. Why are we doing this? And this administration needs to be very clear-eyed about their policy with Iran, because they have not been. And when you have a muddled policy, when you cause confusion with your words and actions, you end up getting adversaries that are emboldened. And that's exactly what you have seen with Iran. They think that they've got the U.S. over a barrel, if you will, because they pulled off the 2015 Iran nuclear deal and got hundreds of billions of dollars shipped into them on pallets. They were able to enrich uranium, and they're wanting to use that uranium to do what? Build nuclear warheads. Iran is also the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. They supply Hamas and Hezbollah each with $100 million a year, plus weapons, plus training, plus supplies. So they are sponsoring them. Hamas and Hezbollah are proxies for Iran. Basically, Iran sends them out to do the dirty work and to carry out attacks like they have carried out on Israel this week. Senator, what you're pointing out, I think, <laughs> is becoming more and more evident. I mean, our foreign yeah. policy in this administration is schizophrenic. Uh, yes. in, a, in a piece that you, you wrote, uh, I think it was published yesterday, about the attack in Israel, when you look at how we are funding not just Iran, but we're funding Hamas through the Palestinian Authority, through the United Nations. I mean, just earlier this summer, uh, we gave, the administration gave $730 million to the United Nations for UNRWA, which funds the Palestinian Authority, which funds Hamas, which funds about 58 percent of that goes to education. And we talked about this on the program just recently, how the education system under the Palestinian Authority is poisoning the minds of young people to do what we right. saw on October the 7th. Yes, you're exactly right about that. And specifically with the UN Relief and Work Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, as it is called, what we found, of course, what we know is President Trump cut the funding to them. Joe Biden put the funding back and then increased the funding. He has now given them $730 million. Now, 
they have hired people affiliated with Hamas. We know that Hamas has stolen some of that money. We know that they that these people that are affiliated with Hamas have used their UNRWA facilities, their UN facilities that are there in Gaza to store weapons, ammo, things of that nature that they use to carry out their attacks. So people need to know this and be aware of it. I have called for this funding to be completely cut until Iran is expelled from the United Nations. President Biden is uh, going to the Middle East tomorrow. He's going to go to Israel, but he's going to stop having a meeting with the King of Jordan, President wow. LCC in Egypt. What should be his message? What are you hoping he will communicate to the world? He should communicate that we are going to be steadfast with Israel. They are our greatest ally in this region. They have worked with us every step of the way as we have fought terrorism in this region of the world. He should let them know that we value our allies and that when it comes to Hamas and Hezbollah, we support, we support Israel in ridding these terrorist organizations from the face of the earth. Uh, Senator, this uh, news just coming out uh, just a little bit ago before we came into the studio, a massive blast rocked a Gaza City hospital packed with wounded. They're saying that uh, at least 500 people have been killed. Hamas blaming it on Israel, Israeli intelligence, uh, saying that it was a misfired uh, Hamas rocket uh, that actually did it. It wasn't them. They're very, very careful. Uh, but this is the type of stuff we're going to see. And the international community is going to say, well, look, uh, Israel needs to moderate. They need to back off. They need to, you know, they need to there's going to be this pressure to appease the global community. What should the United States government do in terms of our messaging to defend our allies you just described in this coming situation? And as you have said, what we are hearing is that it was a misfired rocket and not an Israeli rocket. Right. And that is going to be an important clarification to be made. But Israel has given plenty of time for people to leave Gaza and to get to the south of Gaza and given them plenty of time to get through the Rafa gate. And <clears throat> pardon me, if they're going to choose not to do that, if uh, Hamas is going to continue to use people as human shields. That is just absolutely so despicable. And we saw what they did when they went into Israel, into homes, into um, the kibbutz and killed 30 babies. Right. Uh, we know what they're going to do if you give them a chance. Right they have now, no... They place no value on human life. No, no value on life. So, so we, we, we shouldn't no. be surprised that they're putting their own people in harm's way in to danger. accomplish their right. agenda, given that, uh, what That's I would right. describe as a demonic driven agenda that they have. But you've made this point. We have to be very clear that we're not going to allow the international community, the United Nations, to press Israel to stop in their effort to make sure that their people are safe from another attack like what happened October the 7th. 
That's right. We should be very clear that we support Israel, that we stand with Israel. And Israel has the right to protect their country and to protect their people. And Joe Biden ought not to waver on that. I also think it's inappropriate to put conditions on support for Israel and saying, well, Israel, you've got to do an aid package into Gaza. As we have just said, that money ends right. up with Hamas. So why would we be putting money in there when it's going to be used to kill Israelis, to kill Americans, to hold Americans and Israelis hostage? We need to be very forceful in dealing with this because we do not want this terrorism to sp spread to every corner of the earth. Right. And this is not something that just happened overnight. We've been watching this for the last several decades as the international community has tied the hands of Israel in trying to protect themselves from these terrorists. Uh, Senator, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. You've got it. Take care. Bye-bye right. now. Senator Marsha Blackburn of uh, Tennessee. I would add, folks, that this is something we need to be praying for. And, and, and I'm praying for the innocent Palestinian people as well that are there that Hamas is using, as was just described, as human shields. And, and I know that Israel puts a high value on life. They're, they're, very, they're very clear when they're going in to warn people. This is Hamas, not allowing people to go, keeping them in places that put them at risk. All right, don't go away. We're going to talk more about the president's foreign policy when we return right here on Washington Watch. Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a Holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. 
Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest from the trees. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Boy, it's been a long week already. Uh, by the way, as I was talking at the break about praying for Israel, we were going we will be hosting Sunday night from South Carolina, 6 p.m. Eastern time, a Stand and Pray with Israel rally, uh, town hall meeting. We'll, we'll have more about, more details on that, so mark your calendars and stay posted. By the way, all regular Washington Watch listeners and viewers, this is for you. You can help us. And I'm going to ask you for your help. Many of you responded yesterday, but I'm going to, if you did not, if you did not, you can help us decide where to put our efforts and energy in, pro, in promoting Washington Watch. Where, we, where do we place it as we seek to expand this format, this uh, platform of communicating to you news and information from the newsmakers themselves? So if you would, would you let us know? How you watch or listen, simply text poll to 67742. That's the word poll to 67742. You'll get a link. Just follow the link over, and uh, you can tell us among the different uh, op options that are listed of how you listen or watch Washington Watch. Again, text poll to 67742. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, we talked about this yesterday, but I was actually picked up a newspaper yesterday and, 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 and read uh, at Epoch Times. You know, it reminded me of a report that we did just recently on how this administration is focusing on the LGBTQ agenda in their foreign policy. Now, this happens to be an article in uh, Epoch Times that said the U.S. grants $4.1 billion to LGBT and trans initiatives. Now, I'm going to play this clip again of President Biden here in D.C. on Saturday night speaking to the HRC and their annual dinner, where he is actually boasting of his top priority in foreign policy. We made human rights for LGBT around the world a top priority in my foreign policy, increasing our assistance to brave activists on the ground, defending human rights in countries to pass anti-gay laws. Strong-arming countries to change their laws. And it's not just LGBTQ. He's a top priority. The other two top priorities, what I call the, the unholy trinity, abortion, strong-arming countries to change their laws on abortion, and on climate. Those three. Joining me now to talk more about this, Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back. Thank you, Tony. So let's talk about the—actually, 
we've got a report here that was that we did just uh, about uh, two months ago on how what the president just said there is true. He actually is speaking the truth. This is a top priority for them, and we've got the evidence. We do. It's a sad day that we have to say this, but basically what we show is is the information in the administration that backs up what he just said, right? So we talk about policy over and personality. Well, Biden's policy is, is laying out a record here that's sad. Americans need to know about it because we're still used to thinking of ourselves and the West and European West as promoting human rights and, and the, the Cold War era, you know, promoting freedom. This is shifting. And there is a chance if we still ask for the Lord's help, but it's shifting quickly. Well, this stands in stark contrast to the Trump administration when Mike Pompeo was secretary of state. I worked with him when I was uh, at USERV very closely. He's a longtime friend. But he, he said publicly and privately, the number one foreign prior, uh, uh, policy priority of the Trump administration was religious freedom. Religious freedom, right. And we're hearing— And just, this is the opposite. It's, it's the opposite. So not only—there's two things here. Number one, it distracts. When, when President Biden gets up and says that, you're displacing what should be a, a, policy, a foreign policy priority. When we have Christians in India being killed— people in China uh, uh, being put under horrific conditions for exercising their faith. Just you can go the, through the myriad of nations around the world. America used to defend that. Now right. we're saying we're defending this. And, and number two, when you say it's a policy priority, that you're going to result in policies that is in themselves harm religious freedom. When pastors, right. people, uh, Pai Rasen in Finland, tweet Bible verses, they're going to come under government sanction. And the United States now is signaling we're not on the side of religious freedom. We're on the side of anti-Christian so, bias. So, Travis, we're going to talk just a little bit about, give some examples of what these funds are being used for. Yeah. And so, Tony, you know, you, you referenced the Epic Times report. This is alarming because $4.1 billion in federal money going to LGBT initiatives. This is domestic and overseas. They're tracking grants. I just want to reference one, a, a, a Armenian a group in Armenia, Pink Human Rights Defender, receiving $1 million to empower the LGBT community. A group in Serbia receiving $500,000 to encourage diversity in Serbia's workplaces. So these countries need actual help. Armenia, Azerbaijan, there's a conflict right now. The United States needs to be— yeah, People tending. are actually starving there. They're starving. I mean, there's a genocide, slow motion genocide underway. This is what the U.S. government's funding. I mean, these are just two examples. You know, if you look at our report, we what we analyzed several months ago, that we go through the numbers. 99 U.S. embassies flew, flew pride flags during Pride Month. 49 at staffers participating in parades. Uh, State Department criticized 67 countries for counseling bans for same-sex attraction. 48 countries for uh, not recognizing LGBT, and, and um, 154 for not having gender recognition. So, those are just some numbers. And, Rahm Emanuel in Japan coercing Japan on its LGBT laws as ambassador. And, and many of these uh, um, grants are going to non-governmental organizations, which then agitate agitate for the changing of laws. And so they're, they're working against the values of that country and that government. Very insidious. And, and Tony, this is happening. You mentioned abortion. It's on the LGBT issue and abortion. We know PEPFAR funds have flowed to organizations which, by their own words, work to change pro-life laws in Africa. We're almost out of time, Travis. But when we see what appears to be the world spinning out of control, should we really be surprised when this is the priority of this administration in foreign policy? It's logical unless we, as the church in America, we can beseech the Lord on behalf of our country and speak out 
and urge our government to turn back to God. We need God's help for this and everything else, but we hope in, in his provision, his care. Yeah. Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. I mean, it comes back to pray, vote, stand. We need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for the influence we have around the world. We need to vote. We need to vote biblical values in those who uphold those values when they're in office. And then we need to stand for the truth and hold ourselves and others, our elected officials, accountable to that truth and not back down or be intimidated by the voices of darkness that want to silence the truth. All right, folks, don't go away. We're going to get an update from Capitol Hill on the speaker's race. California Congressman Doug LaMalfa joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more still ahead. of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. with us, the website, TonyPerkins.com. And by the way, this week in our two-year journey through the Bible, we began Ephesians, and we happen to have a great resource for you. I have a seven-day journey through the Word, through the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to get a copy of this, go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over, or simply go to frc.org slash Ephesians. All right. Today began as uh, day 15 without a speaker in the House, and uh, this afternoon there was a vote for a new speaker, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, but after the first round of voting, Jordan fell significantly short of the 217. He was 17 votes short. It was actually it was a weaker position than 
uh, Kevin McCarthy began back in January. So what can we anticipate as this process continues? Joining me now to discuss this is California Congressman Doug LaMalfit. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Tony, thanks for having me. So um, it, it's gotten the, the division. What I'm hearing and talking to members is that the, the division seems to have grown deeper uh, among Republicans. Is, is that an accurate description that there just seems to be uh, just some what, what has unfolded in the last two weeks has driven a pretty significant divide among Republicans? It is and it isn't. I mean, there there is. Uh a lot of very strong feelings the way Kevin McCarthy got taken out based on a lot of, you know, you're talking about we have to stand for truth. Just a lot of untruths on based on what uh, people were claiming had gone on under him. We had a, a pretty successful first eight months or so with uh, uh, Parents' Bill of Rights and curbing spending and doing our part to try and uh, push good border legislation and many other things. And so we were on a pretty good track, I think, uh, record-wise, and so all of a sudden, like, it came time to depose Kevin McCarthy. So that'd be really upset the last couple of weeks. And not only that, we're, we're, we're wasting time, as you said, day 15 here of, of no speakership means the House can't do business. And Kevin has had more votes than anybody by far uh, during this recent time uh, to retain the speakership. So, you know, but that, that said, I talked to Jim Jordan the other day, said, hey, I will support you. Today, I cast a vote of conviction to say, I want to make the statement, Kevin McCarthy has been wronged. I gave my vote for him today at the conclusion, so it didn't negatively affect a possible majority for uh, Jim Jordan. But I talked to Jim afterwards and said, hey, I'm, I'm still on board the second ballot, and from here on out, we're going to be in place to uh, help get you over the top, get to 217, and get the House of Representatives back to work again. So there, there's a... This this division that's that's there. I mean, as you, you described, a lot of people upset with the way it was handled with Kevin McCarthy. Not everybody happy, but I mean, you've got 221 members coming from really different districts. That is a really tough job to manage all of those different uh, expectations that yeah. these members have from these different districts. You're absolutely right. You have, as you said, many different types of folks from di different areas of the country with different, uh, you know, you got strong Republican districts. They can go to the wall on certain issues. And you have, you know, 50 50 districts that uh, if those members act in a particular way, they'll get thrown out and the Democrat gets elected. Then you don't have a majority anymore. And I know that all sounds like politics to normal people, but it does matter who's holding the majority, who holds the gavel, who is in the speakership, because I got to tell you, if the Republicans had not been in charge of the House these last nine months, then it would have looked a whole lot different with the legislation getting out of here. It would have been sent to the Senate that they would have you know, been able to push through on the simple majority uh, spending type issues and, and would have been passed by the president. Right. We've been the bricks on a lot of really bad things here. And that sometimes gets forgotten, yeah. as well as turning things in a good direction. With a, There was a Washington, D.C. crime bill which we embarrassed them into doing the right thing. Biden said he wouldn't do. Uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights, as I mentioned a while ago, and a lot of more things are in the pipeline right. that we need to get done. But, you know, we didn't get the appropriations done because some of the same guys that took McCarthy out would not approve decent appropriations bills this summer. So now all the appropriations gets run right to the end of the time. Uh, we, we ran out of uh, budget year. So we had to do the CR, another 45 days of continuing resolution. 
And so that isn't what we want. We want to do the light of day appropriations uh, committee bill process. And that's what the 45 days is supposed to buy us. Well, we've already lost what? 12 days or whatever out of that 45 that how uh, can I shorten the window to get these appropriations done? And maybe, you know, I hear there's a talk of a, a now a four month additional continuing resolution. So that isn't helping us. We need to be able to settle down and do our work. So, so Congressman, we've got about 45 seconds left. What's the process now? How, how is this going to play out uh, hours, yeah, days yeah. ahead? Uh, I saw Jim heading into a huddle with several of the New York delegation right after the floor vote. And those are some of the folks that were, haven't been able to support him yet. So, you know, I think Jim's learning how to, it takes to build the coalition. He's been doing great work on the Judiciary Committee, being a, a, a pit bull on these folks that need it with the Biden crime family and all that. So I admire him for that. He's a friend of mine and he'll do good work. But as, as you said at the top, this is not an easy job because you got all these different cats of different stripes from different districts that you have to find that happy medium with. And there doesn't seem to be a happy medium right now with the handful that took down McCarthy. And then some on the, you know, maybe the more moderate wing of things that might look at Jim Jordan as uh, make, make, make him, might make him nervous. So I know Jim is working with folks and there's been some concessions he's made that have uh, allayed some concerns. So I think he can get there. We just gotta be patient a little bit. I hope we can have a vote tomorrow morning and get things uh, line back up and get a speaker because we got to get back to work. Israel is going to have needs as well as our, our budget issue and right. the poorest southern border we have. We got to be working on that. Doug LaMalfa, always great to see you. Thanks for joining us. And I'll just uh, say this on the way out uh, as I spoke to some of your colleagues today. I think it'd be a great time for the, the Republicans in the House just to have a prayer meeting. We need some unity around something. We, that's we much have, we have some great prayer warriors, sir. We do have those. Thank you so much. All right, Doug, good to see you. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk about parents taking control of what's happening in the classroom, good or bad. It's good. We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. The world is hurting. Streets are filled with crime. Families are broken. Sin is celebrated. And God is mocked. Everywhere we look, the wages of our sin are on full display. As Christians, we know that surrender to God's will is the solution to our biggest problems, but not everyone agrees. Even in church, we hear people say the most important thing is to be tolerant, that we shouldn't impose a morality on other people, and that loving our neighbor means celebrating what they do. But you can't do that. It's not that you don't love your neighbor, you do. But you care about God's opinion more than your neighbor's opinion, and this makes you different. In fact, sometimes it makes you feel alone, like you're the only one. But there is good news. You are not alone, not even close. Research has found that there are 59 million American adults who are a lot like you. There are millions of people around the country who are born again, deeply committed to practicing their faith, and believe the Bible is the reliable Word of God. But that's not all. They're also engaged in our government. They're voters. They're more likely to be involved in their community, and they're making a difference in elections. The problem is that a lot of them feel alone, too. We want to change that. FRC wants to connect these 59 million Americans to speak the truth together, no matter the cost. If you want to learn more about this group and what it means to be a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, or if you want to find out if you are one of these sage cons yourself, go to frc.org sagecon and take the quiz to find out. The world is hurting, and we have the solution. 
We can't do it alone, but we can do it if we work together. That's what we're working toward every day. Join us. Go to frc.org slash S-A-G-E-C-O-N, SageCon, to learn more. That's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, SageCon, to learn more. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort. Your Word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible Devotion. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Roger and Janice Bowers. No question about it. Whatever FRC has done in the past and will continue to do in the future, they do it with excellence, integrity, yeah. and a God-honoring focus. And that means all the world to us. Yeah. And that's why we continue to support them. That was two of our great supporters, Roger and Janet. We've got folks like that all across this country standing with us and are grateful, grateful for their partnership and for your partnership as well. And I could use your help. All of our regular Washington Watch listeners and viewers, you can help us decide where to put our focus and emphasis as we expand Washington Watch. You can simply uh, take a poll question to let us know how you watch or listen to Washington Watch. Simply text the word poll, P-O-L-L, to 67742. That's the word poll to 67742. You get a link, just take the survey, and that'll help us determine where we need to focus our efforts. Well, it's becoming a common story. Anytime a concerned parent raises questions about inappropriate or even pornographic materials in their children's school, the legacy media will run with claims of book banning. Well, many of these books are so obscene that they can't be discussed at public school board meetings for adults. Yet removing them from classrooms and school libraries is falsely called censorship. Now, Jesus spoke of the punishment for those who cause children to sin. And every parent must be on guard to protect their children. And I say this a lot. As parents, the Lord has given us the children. He didn't give the children to the public schools or to the government. He gave them to parents. And we have both the authority and the responsibility to raise those children. Now, we can delegate the authority. We can't. You can let your child go to a public school, a private school, but you can never delegate the responsibility. That will always be yours. So as parents are beginning to step forward, they're meeting a lot of resistance. But what if you had some tools that would help you, number one, uncover what is actually taking place in classrooms and understanding the laws? Most people don't realize about 43 states have laws that exempt 
what would be illegal outside the classroom is exempt from obscenity laws in the classroom because it's for quote-unquote educational purposes. Well, we've got someone here that has some tools for you that can help expose this and get it out of the classroom. Joining me now to discuss this, Karen England, Executive Director of Capital Resource Institute. Karen, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, thank you for having me, Tony. So you and your organization have been on the front lines dealing with pornographic materials in the schools. A lot of parents, you know, just don't think it's there. And, you know, when they raise objections, as I said, they're accused of book banning. But this is a well-hidden secret that this type of material is in classrooms, not just in places like California, where you launched your initial effort, this is in red states, red counties all across America. Oh, absolutely, Tony. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the exemption because that's what a lot of people are missing. People get up and they speak at a school board meeting or parents are going and they're citing laws on obscenity and thinking that that's going to get rid of these books. It's not because it's perfectly legal to have it there. So you've got to go a different route and you've got to have a policy in place that allows you to remove these books and to have a say about removing them. The books behind me are the commonly, most commonly found. I, without a doubt, I can say every one of your listeners has one of them in their school district. Uh, and as an example, you mentioned red states. Some of the worst books, I live in a red county in a red state of Tennessee. We have worse books here than every school district I've been working in California, with the exception of one California school district so far. Now, let, let, me, let, let, me, let me stop. Is that because there's just assumed that things are OK and, and that we're just not we're kind of taking our hands off? Yes, I think it's two things. I think they assumed it's okay. And I'm, I'm finding that in general with a, a lot of stuff going on in the schools. And what people need to know, when I moved to this red state, I was not pleasantly surprised. I was really disappointed at how quickly the left and progressives have just gone in through the side door. They're not waiting for legislation. They're going and getting on school committees and on school boards. And so this stuff is coming in and everybody in red states thinks, oh, that's just California. But I assure you, and that's part of why we built our website, Take Back the Classroom at takebacktheclassroom.com, is to show you specifically the books that are in your school district and then excerpts from the book, because this is not the catcher in the rye. These books, and, and one thing our organization is doing a little bit differently than some of the other groups that are working on books, we are very selective. There are First Amendment issues. There are, uh, you know, the PICO case. You can't get rid of something just because of a political viewpoint. But you can remove vulgar obscenity and pornography from your public schools. And that's what we're trying to focus parents on. And so it's, I've been, they've tried to stop me speaking several times at school board meetings. And I just remind them it's a first amendment issue. And if it's in your school, you've already said it's okay. You just don't want me reading it. And I just continue to read. And it is, it's really, you'd be surprised how much and how bad it is. I had been, Tony, one of those moms that kind of poo-pooed the parent groups that were going after the books. I focused on sex ed curriculum and some of the curriculum until I really saw how bad the problem was and how frequently these books are checked out. Okay, so let's say uh, several questions here I have for you, Karen. Let's start with 
All right. Can you give me a, 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 a kind of a G-rated version of what some schools are, what, some of these books and what kind of things that kids are being exposed to? Uh, well, that, yes, G-rated. Okay, lots well, or, of- Or somewhere close in between, so I don't have yeah, to bleep yeah, you yeah. out. I'll just tell you, it's, they are, they're graphic. Um, well, if you saw the podcast with Pastor Jack, there was no bleeping me there. Um, and, and it was a little uncomfortable to do a, a podcast with a pastor and, and be reading these things. I, I watched the podcast. I did. Oh, you did? I okay. Did. All right. Sorry, Tony. I am a modest Christian woman, but- um, I'm even wearing kind of my pearls, all of that today. But yes, it somebody needs to read it because the other side, they want to paint us as book banners, and we're not. I just don't think this is appropriate for our minor children. All of those books push a graphic rape and incest scenes. The Bluest Eye, graphic rape and incest scenes. And I'm talking about words that prior to me doing this, I had never said, and I didn't become a Christian until I was 28. So I never said these words and it's throughout them. And many of them, you know, the media likes to focus in on a gender queer, which is obscene and pornographic and should be removed. But a lot of it is erotica, white, heterosexual. And you would be shocked. Ellen Hopkins, who you can see, she's behind me, Sarah Moss. These are books that from beginning to the end are graphic erotica. It is, that's, I'm not exaggerating. Please go look at it in our website. You heard me read them, Tony. And we have about 125 books waiting to be uploaded to our website. They're common, common. Give the the website again. Takebacktheclassroom.com. And we are adding books and we are adding school districts. So in about two weeks, we'll have another set, probably about a hundred new school districts up there. And so we're constantly adding and uploading books. And as I do this and get more exposure, people are are emailing me other books. I, I mean, I'm finding out like the one behind me called Tell Me. That's a new one that isn't anywhere, but a parent had seen it and sent it to me. But if you go to look, you can't find that on any of these, these groups because they haven't been what the left would say banned or challenged yet. And one thing that I really want to empower parents, I'm not trying to ban books. I'm doing nothing different than what a librarian does. I want to curate books. These are our tax dollars, our kids' hearts and minds in our public schools. And so librarians curate, they decide if a book is legitimate or not to be put in the library, and then they set others aside. Well, I want to decide, I want parents and local community members to decide what is appropriate and what isn't for your community. And in addition, at TakeBackTheClassroom.com, we have a model policy. We have a toolkit that talks about the obscenity laws and and why that is and what you can do and can't do. Our organization will help, but it's important. That's why we do the excerpts. We have excerpts in all of the books that are on our website from the beginning, middle, and the end of the book. So it's not a one-off. It's not just, not that it would be okay if there's a graphic rape scene. I don't think even one paragraph belongs with a 14-year-old in in high school. However, this is from start to finish. And this is why our kids are getting addicted to porn younger and younger. It's not that you, you have to go find it in a field somewhere. You walk down the hallway and your buddy has it, and then you check it out after your buddy has checked and, it out. And, and, and also, Karen, if this is in the school library, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of a tacit um, 
seal of approval that this is good. Nothing wrong with it. It's here in the school library. Oh, absolutely. One of our, um, uh, that's ex exactly what it is. And I will tell you, some schools, uh, it's, it's frequent that AP classes and honors classes, depending on where you are in the nation, they often do, one of their assignments is going off one of the banned book lists. So often, these books are actually assigned in AP and honors English for freshmen. And so, like the Glass Castle is one with a lot of, of graphic um, information. And it's assigned. I mean, I hear from people almost weekly about one of these books being assigned, and it's usually in an AP or an honor class. So it's not just a, a tacit endorsement. They're actually pushing them on kids. Wow. I, I remember, you know, the days when... Uh... You know, Playboy and stuff used to be behind the counter at the uh, the convenience store. Uh, this is now on the school library shelf, and it, is it in any way restricted? I mean, who, what what age kids are being targeted or and get a can get a hold of these books? Well, uh, most of them, depending on where you're at. Any age, any age. And the American Library Association, which many school districts align their policies with, have no age limit. They do not believe that minors should have any age restriction on books whatsoever. And so they really, really believe that the stuff should not be um, have any sort of age on it. That is obviously not the position we take at Capital Resource Institute, but that's why you need to get in, get your policy changed, start challenging these books that are obscene because you can get them removed, but you can't get them removed just because they're obscene. You're not going to get a DA to come in there and do something because like you mentioned, schools, public libraries, public schools, and universities have an exemption in over 40 states. And so that just isn't enough. You're going to have to have a policy, you're going to have to challenge the book, and you're going to have to be strategic about it. And that's why we want to help parents. That's why we put together the toolkit, the website. We are committed over the next several years to get rid of these books and make the left defend why they want them. You know, I'm going to be in Chino Hills on Thursday, and the the left seeing their social media, they're ready to ban the Bible. Okay, bring the bring, if you want to challenge the Bible, bring it to the school board. Let's talk about why you want it banned, and then let's see which school board members you know vote for that, and which ones vote for books like Burned or Push or, or some of those. And this is a great way for people to flip their school board to being parent friendly. There's nothing clearer than when you read these books. It's really hard for the left to defend them. It really, really is. It's that graphic. So at your website, not only is there information about what is happening in, and people can find out what's happening in their areas where they live, but it's not just about getting people outraged, it's getting them engaged. You actually have a toolkit there. You have a model policy. We've just got a couple minutes left. Talk about this model policy, because this is really, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really critical. It's a hinge on which so much of this turns. Well, it absolutely is. Thank you, Tony, because we worked with several legal groups to come up with it because there are First Amendment issues. And so we wanted to, we don't want to have any school district. I mean, we know school districts are going to be sued by the left, but we want them to prevail. And so what our policy does is it takes it out of the hands of the, the same people that put the book in and think this book is great and kids should read it 
typically that the, the process is a parent complains, they put a committee together made up of the same school people that think this is a great book. And then behind closed doors, they decide to keep it usually, and then tell the parent we're keeping it. That's usually the, the practice. So our policy says, and this is what's going before Chino Valley Unified, that uh, any community member can challenge the book. When it's challenged, the superintendent has to remove the book. And within 45 days, the school board has to have a hearing. It can be a regular school board hearing. And the school board, which are elected officials, decide if that book is put back or not. And that's where it should be. It should be with the elected officials and it should be where you can see all in the light, like who's for these graphic rape scenes and who isn't. And I think this is going to be something that's going to help continue to flip school boards, this issue alone. I will tell you, I was at a school board meeting, and it was one where the teachers union was out there, uh, you know, up, upset about a charter school. And two books that I read from, I had two ladies come up to me afterwards and say, that isn't in our district. That isn't, that isn't there. And I was like, oh, here are the schools it's in. They did not like what I read at all. And they were offended by it. So offended, they thought I was lying until I showed them exactly where it's at. Yeah. That's how graphic this stuff is. Well, it's important to have the facts, and that's what you've done. You've done most of the legwork. You've got the policy. You've got the resources and the how-to. Um, so I'm going to encourage the website once again, Karen. Take back the classroom, takebacktheclassroom.com. And I want you to know that I personally go through every book before it goes on the website. I don't use hyperbole. I know how important it is for us to be credible on this issue. And I'm very involved in what we put up there. All right. Well, Karen, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, the bell's ringing. Classroom is, uh, class is dismissed. Karen, good to see you. All right. Thank you. You too. Folks, thanks for joining us today. We're out of time. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, who says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.